Hello and welcome to a new uh, interview and profile. And, and in this case, I'm actually looking forward to connect and uh, profile uh, Jewel Okwekime. I hope I spell it correct. I know Jewel for a long time, but still I'm terrible with some accents. Uh, so Jewel is joining us from Nigeria, but she's a citizen of the world and I know her for a long time and I've been um, accompanying her fantastic career, but as well looking at some of the developments and some of the fantastic things she's been doing. So Jewel is um, a fellow and chartered engineer with um, over two decades of experience assisting business such as Slum Berger, Woodside Energy, BP, Shell and ExxonMobil and as well a non-executive director and chairman of remuneration committee and investor relations for the VFD group. And as well, she's an oil and energy consultant, uh, business development manager for the company Deltic Energy Limited, where she'd been accompanying for some time. Uh, so her background as an engineer um, and as well educated um, in the University of Surrey and uh, um, in the UK, and she's been looking at uh, ways of strategical and uh, environmental change management and all the different areas that come out of this from legis the legislative compliance and sustainable and cost-effective solutions. She's been working with multiple groups. And I think in terms of um, her background, she's been looking a lot in terms of uh, engineer ecosystems and she's a chartered engineer. And in terms of uh, um, the work, she's been working in some of the major groups uh, in Africa, but as well in the UK, and making a lot of breaches between the leadership, investor relations, and the engineer and areas um, of investment and relations, um, especially focus on um, creating groups and ecosystems. She's as well a, a, a very high profile networker that's been working especially between the UK and Africa and Nigeria, of course, she's based right now, but as well in the US. And she's particularly interested as well in the areas of wellness, lifestyle and biohacking, but she's been involved with some companies in health tech and wellness. And in terms of the group uh, uh, where she's uh, they're going to be talking in this interview, it's a fast growing group um, that has been creating very interesting things and especially looking at diverse portfolio of companies and qualifications, trying to look at um, from banking to uh, other areas, bridging and creating business models that are sustainable and investing in multiple companies. And I know uh, that uh, Jewel has been working as well in all the bridges of uh, self-development and the areas of from business professional and ecosystems, education and so forth. So welcome to our series, Jewel. I'm quite excited to have you here. Thank you, Dennis. It's a pleasure. I feel very honored to be on your um, podcast. No, no, I'm very excited and um, I love Africa. I love the work you've been doing and I love as well, uh, I think, uh, sharing ideas with you because we've been, we know each other for almost 10 years. So time passes and uh, we yeah. didn't spoke for a long time, but I think <laughs> I'm quite excited to talk and this is as well. So I want to start, uh, I know that um, um, you're Nigerian, but as well British, because you've been in between the two countries for uh, all your life. So I want to start by the culture of Nigeria and your education, because I know that Nigeria is, well, is one of the fast economies in the world, um, and as well a very complex uh, country for good, and sometimes not necessary for, bad, for, the, for the good, but as well very strong in the sense of culture, as a fantastic sense of tribe, sense of family, and at the same time, then you have the, the British education <clears throat> where you studied in one of the leading universities in the UK, but as well, you've been between the two worlds all your life and as well with the US. So I would like to start by your background in education because it's quite unique mixing these two uh, backgrounds. And now as well, after studying in the UK and living here, being there, building a business, which in the end of the day, Africa is the fast growing uh, markets in the world and Nigeria in particular. Okay, so um, most of my education has been in the UK, and but obviously I've had a lot of experience as well in living in Nigeria and also working in Nigeria. So I would say that the best opportunity was presented to me by Tony Elimulu, who is one of the most powerful men in Africa. He gave me opportunity to work for him, which I accepted. I don't, I don't believe there's anyone else in the world that would offer me a job in Nigeria and I would take it. So he, for me, it's for him offering me a job was the best thing because I have a lot of respect for him and I was really excited to have this, take this opportunity. 
And little did I know that obviously getting there is it's not as easy as I thought it would be because it's a totally different culture. And uh, but as I am a very fast learner, I managed to um, pick up the the method and how to um, sort of like understand the different cultures. A good example is like in Nigeria when when someone is um, someone in your office is getting married, for example, everyone goes to the wedding. Everyone, even even Tony Illuminu goes to the wedding. It's like and we and they have outfits you have to all wear. So you have to buy the fabric and you have to wear the outfit. So that to me was a kind of a new thing for me because I was like, I don't know you, why are you inviting me to your wedding? But it's a very normal thing that when someone is getting married, any, any staff member, anyone getting married, even if it's a cleaner, people all att attend the wedding. So there's that like kind of like, it's very unusual, but I feel like that's a lovely, nice way to show that in the workplace, it's like we're all a family. And that's something that's very unique. In terms, in terms of the educational system, my mother owns a school in Femme Jesus Academy. It's based in Delta State, Asaba, which is, without confusing you, it's exactly where the uh, oil and gas sector is, you know, in terms of like when you look for where the Delta oil is, it's around that region. And the school was, um, was created with my, my mom and my dad, and they built it based on just, you know, bringing in all the educational systems from the, from, you know, the UK and from America as well. So these kids don't have to, so parents don't really have to send their kids abroad. They can get the exact same education in Nigeria. And so, it, so, it's, so with that, I have been mentoring um, kids from the age of 10 to 15 in the school. And I got a group of kids and I decided that they, they are the brand of the school. So we created something called the media team and they would want to put contents on the, on the websites, on all the social media um, handles, but also to like spend time with them, sort of like get them to you know, understand different cultures. Because a typical child in Nigeria, when they grow up, they're not really given much exposure to um, earn money or work for them, work for themselves. Normally, a typical teenager is stays at home and has chores and just follows mom and dad's um, rules until they get married, basically. So I wanted to expose them to different sort of lifestyles and different cultures by introducing international um, international students their age that actually work in their country just to give them a bit of exposure. Because I knew even myself growing up that this was the case as well. I remember I used to threaten my parents and say, I'm gonna go and look for a job in a pub. And they would freak out because they know that this is not something that we do. We need to go to school and just study, just get a degree, get, become a doctor, a lawyer. Or, you know, there's, not, there's no room for like, you know, to just be a teacher or a journalist. You have to do something really big and wild. So, and that was how we were all raised. And so for me, it's, um, as we are, as I look at these young generation, I want to still kind of like give them the, the a voice to express themselves. And that as I mentor each and every one of them, like give them a bigger exposure to, you know, life outside of Nigeria and, and something outside of the world. Um, so that's, that's uh, I don't know if I answered the question, but that's kind of like uh, a bit of the flavor we have in, in Nigeria. So I want to touch, uh, uh, because I know that you, you like you mentioned, uh, you had education in Africa and education in the UK. And I think this is particularly interesting because I think you just mentioned, for instance, the sense of tribe, the sense of community, and the sense of, for instance, all the people going to the marriage, which is very beautiful, but it's probably lost in the Western world, where each person lives for themselves. And sometimes actually with some caricature and as well, probably some terrible examples, for instance, we have a lot of the biggest cities where people actually die alone and, and a lot of things on that. So I think Africa has definitely that wonderful sense of community and sense of tribe. So I would just yeah. like to touch, and I think this is particularly important for people look, looking at us because I think one of the things that, sh that happen very often is that we create stereotypes. We create stereotypes about this country being like this, this country being yeah. like that. And uh, I think someone like you that uh, of course has some of the best educations and a good family from Nigeria, then coming to the UK, studying in Surrey and a lot of other places. I would like to touch a bit that because I think, first of all, this mystifies, and even me, I think that you always learn, first of all, how to deal with this global world. That is very global, but sometimes most of people don't do their homework because they spend time in social media instead of looking at these details or at least not looking at, in, and especially for doing business, for doing leadership, you need to understand the world we live in. And I think that's for me, one of the one things that wonderful things that you have in your career, but as well the experience that that is unique. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't born in Nigeria, so that, that obviously my parents were all were, were all born in the UK. 
However, my parents were also trying to instill the African culture and the traditions in the in the household, so that um, so in a way, I I get I get I guess I get I get the best of both worlds. I kind of like understand how my mother is a mother, a wife, a career woman, and also how my dad is the you know head of the family and how he's also you know um, the husband and um, and how he how he runs his business as well. So, mm, so in terms of in terms of all of that, I would say that um, the diversity is, 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 very, is very important because you get the best of both worlds, which I'm very fortunate to have. And at the same time, it's also, um, I also challenged my parents a lot to make them understand that some of their, um, some of the things they wanted wasn't going to be possible when you raise a child in another country. <laughs> so, um, I don't, know, I don't know which example to give, but I would say that like, um, it was very difficult for them to understand that I could, you know, I had the freedom to go out late at night and come back really late at night, which is not very normal, for what, not how they were raised as uh, in their generation. And, uh, and so I guess for, for me, it was, um, I, I, I built, I managed to build a lot of trust with my parents and also um, gave them comfort, you know, and this is just through communication, you know, regular communication, whether, you know, what I'm doing and where I'm going and how to get hold of me, who I'm with, the address and things like that to give them a feeling that I was safe. And, um, and also to, to take the responsibility of also taking care of my sibling, my younger brother as well, who was also kind of like um, still a minor at the time. So I had to make sure that he was, I was taking care of him as well. And make sure my parents were feeling safe when he was with me most of the time. I don't really know what exactly you want me to. Yeah, no, I think I think you touched that. I think is this. I think for me particularly important is that, for instance, when you do, a, let's say, if I'm going to do business with Nigeria, um, there's a lot of cultural things that are different from doing business with South Korea or business with Vietnam. And I think yeah, yeah, like yeah, you, that okay. it's more on that sense yeah. of- uh, Okay, the, so, so yeah. yeah, okay, so so that's a different question. So that, that's just basically understanding the culture in Nigeria. So for example, when I joined, um, <laughs> this is an interesting story, when I joined the VFD group, and um, obviously my very dear friend and business partner, Nonso, he knew that already from day one that I wasn't, I needed to be, um, what's the word, inducted into the group because I had a different lifestyle, a different understanding. And so for him, he was like, okay, I'm gonna invite you to um, one of the executive director's um, birthday. I was like, birthday? Why do I need to come to his birthday? Oh, he said, no, you just have to go to these events. Okay, his son is turning one years old, you need to attend. Okay, the other, the, my, my other friend's wife is having a child, you need to go to, we need to all attend. I'm like, whoa, what's going on here? At the time I was very reluctant because I just thought this is just like weird because like, you know, I don't know these people. I'm not an extrovert, I'm an introvert, even though it looks like I'm not, but I am a full blown introvert. And being around crowd really makes me uncomfortable. I, but I, I just said, are you gonna be there? He said, yes. And he was there to guide me through these, um, these events. So um, I did attend. And then as I start to um, attend these events, I realized that the more I attend these events, the more I'm building a relationship with these people who are on the board with me. And I, and I believe that's extremely important because we're all individual brands that are coming together for um, taking care of our investments and working together and, um, and building, um, the, building the, the, the company, the, um, the profits, everything, you know? And it's important that uh, for, Nigerian, for Nigerians to have some kind of like, like um, a relationship that's been built and that means, you know, getting to meet their families, getting to really get, you know, really, really close. And it's something that is not very usual in other countries. In fact, in most countries, it's complete opposite. And so this is something that I had to learn. And it's something that I, I, I took with lots of um, respect because I'm a sort of person that is very adaptable. And I kind of like, you know, if I'm told this is the way to go, I would, I'm, I'm disciplined enough to just follow through and just see how it goes and learn from that experience. So I learned quite a lot with the help of my um, my business partner. If he didn't, if he wasn't there to give me that, that those guidance guide guidelines, I probably would have done a really bad job. And then when I would want support from the rest of the board members, I'd probably be struggling because I'm like, who's Jewel? What you know? They don't know anything about me. So I believe that one of the most important things in, when doing business in Nigeria is to build relationships, 
and it's personal relationships. It's not just about like, you know, the money or the, the all the, um, what you can deliver. It's more about the con contact, the connections that you can make on a one-to-one, -one, on a personal level. Yeah, I, I want to touch this if it's okay for you because I've, I'm particularly interested on this because I think there's so much, um, um, well, uh, cliches, but as well, a lot of complexity, for instance, uh, let's say if I'm, I'm a startup, a global startup, I need to do business in Nigeria. Actually, I invest in a company in Nigeria and you have to adapt, you have to learn how to deal like you just did uh, with your own experience. But in general, let's say someone that is from all over the world that wants to do business in Nigeria, so top level, what be like the things that you would say? Because I think this is kind of where I think business fail massive or business succeed massive. Because of course, if you look at Nigeria was considered uh, um, one of the top best improving economies globally for implementing regulatory reforms across six of the reports in the World Bank. And as well, one of the fast populations in the world is the fast growing economy in Africa. And that's the most powerful economy in, in the continent. So, and as well, it has one of the fast growing populations. So I would like to touch that because there's so much, first of all, people know very low about this and as well, even less about Africa. Everyone has some kind of fascination, but you go all as a, and you end up actually in, or in, a, or in a Rwanda, or Wakanda from, from Marvel that did a lot to push a completely different <laughs> image. But as well, of yeah. course, it's a fictitious Im image. And I think it's these details, like you mentioned, the, the sense of family, the sense of engaging in the sense of the tribe, which is completely, I don't know if you're Chinese or UK, you cannot understand this. And I think yeah. you, then you fail, of course. And I would like to touch that a bit, if you would mind. Yes, so for um, for expats, when they come to Nigeria, remember there's one quality they all have. They're very flexible. They've decided to make the step. They're very sex, um, flexible and very um, bold to make that decision to come to Nigeria. So already they've already got this mentality that they're going into, like you can call it the lion's den, and they're prepared to take the challenges that are coming with it. And also to understand that, okay, this is a different culture. This is not just a cultural thing, but also um, accessible. You don't have the same um, items. You can't get access to everything that you normally have when you're in the UK in terms of services, in terms of um, food and all that stuff. So, you know, it's sort of like they do kind of know that they're going into this rustic environment that's going to be kind of unusual, unique, almost like going on a roller coaster ride. And so that's the, that's the first thing that everyone that comes to Nigeria already has in them. So that's a good start. Uh, Nigerians are very optimistic and they're also very welcoming and they do embrace new cultures in the sense that um, they're always happy to be the host to host. They're always happy to say, show you around, you know, take you to places, especially the nightlife, because it's all about food and dancing and, you know, and partying. And, you know, Nigerians love to party. I mean, that's like number one thing. You, you can't you can't spend your evening just watching telly. You're probably going to be out like socializing and, and have, going to house parties. So um, and so and most most people that come from abroad or from other countries, that's what they're looking for to start off, to just be entertained, to have a good time. And then, um, and so, so, you know, business will be as usual during the day, but after work, the plans are always based on, you know, take, you know, taking them out, showing them around and making sure they're safe because their security is very important as well. And we understand that pretty much about how to, um, we have process and procedures in place and how to manage international people to make sure they're always safe, put them in a safe hotel with securities and also to make sure that they're, um, while moving around, transportation is you know is is in place, and that they're they're always you know always safe. Because at the end of the day, like we at the end of the day, what we, we all want is for these international people to leave and go home safely, back to their family, back to their homes. So that's really important, and we we're used to that. I mean, like now, like there's so many so many expats coming into Nigeria. I can walk into a restaurant, and I'm the only black person. Sometimes, you know, that's how how diverse we are, you know? So there is, there, there, there are lots of people there. They've moved there, lived there. Um, there are even some um, remote areas that are like, um, there's a remote area that is like, like uh, middle, like on, on the um, Atlantic Ocean. People are, are like renting and, and some of them are actually run by um, foreigners. They're the ones taking care of that area, you know, with, in terms of like the jetty and the boating and everything. So yeah, I mean, the, the beauty of uh, Nigeria is not just the weather and the food, but also 
the agricultural, the air and everything else, you know, it's, um, there's no 5G or whatever you want to call it, but you can just be in a place where you're just around nature and getting that vitamin D every single day. So most people that do come to Nigeria for business, uh, they end up also enjoying the, the, the social life, the, um, the fact of not being exposed to so much um, chemicals, toxins and things like that as well. Oh, fantastic, and, and I think it's um, it's as well one of the first uh, one of the well the first economy in Africa, but as well a fast growing massive population of two hundred million two hundred million people in two thousand nineteen. So um, I want to touch again. So so because you like you said you were born in the UK, then you moved to Africa. So I think going right now to your experience and as well starting as an engineer, as well working oil and gas. Could you tell us a bit about that career? Part of your career and how do you start on that because it's it's quite impressive first of all coming back to Africa which has the attraction of the continent and as well but as well with your background in London and the UK where you have a very strong footprint. Um, I would consider myself to be a strategic thinker, uh, very inno innovative, um, capable of influencing and um, engaging at both the executive level and the leadership level and this is something that is very unique so um, when I was hired by Tony Elimelu, I was working for him as his um, senior executive assistant. And so basically my role was to look at all the business opportunities that were coming through, the funds, people that are looking for money or all kinds of stuff, um, to arrange his meetings around the world and just manage his calendar and all this other stuff. And I sort of like realized when I got there that um, uh, Nigerians are not very used to putting things in systems, you know, everything was just kind of like very manual. And I'm the sort of person that likes to make my life easy. I like to create systems so that, you know, it's just a case of once the system is in place, anyone can actually use it. And then I can step away from that process. So I, so what I first started to do was just create lots of systems and create lots of procedures and processes. Because once I put that in place, I just need to train other staff and then they can do the same. And because that's something that they don't really, um, is not very, um, very popular in, in the Nigerian workplace. So with that, um, I, I was later on promoted after six months to um, Transcorp. And Transcorp is a group of companies which includes oil and gas, power, hospitality, and agriculture. And I was put on there as the head of business development and head of administration. And that was a great uh, responsibility because again, <laughs> I had like over, I think there were like maybe about 30 to 60 staff from the drivers to the cooks, to the cleaners, the gardeners, to um, um, the, yeah, the admin staff and, uh, and having to manage everyone on these different levels. And it was quite interesting because I've never really had to manage people of so many different levels. And, um, and one thing that I, I quickly found out was obviously that um, there, were, there was a lot of lack of motivation. There wasn't like a feeling of, purpose for these people that, that were working under me. So I spent a lot, lot of time to try and create that because I have always had that throughout my career. I can't imagine doing work without being motivated. I've never done a job in my life because I had to do it and I just, it's a way to make money to feed my children. You no, know, it's always been purposeful and, you know, so, and, and so I wanted to give them some purpose and, and I did that by um, um, introducing new roles and responsibilities that were, you know, challenge them a little bit more and give them something that was different from what they were doing on a day-to-day, -day, make them understand how important their role was. Even I would tell the gardener that, you know, how, how you make this place look beautiful, how you are, how you create our brand. And he just didn't know all these things. So just a case of like, I putting in some values and um, purpose in each individual, which is not a very um, common thing. Another thing I noticed was that there's a lot of micromanaging. So that's something that I'm not a fan of. I do not enjoy micromanaging anyone. I want to give them the freedom to think for themselves, do the work, um, find solutions. I can remember the first few days they would come to me with a problem and I would just look at them and go, okay, what's the solution? And they would look at me like, you know, for me to come up with a solution. No, I'm not going to come up with a solution. My style of leadership is mainly coaching style. I want them to come up with the answers. I would ask them all the questions, but they need to come up with the answers. And because I actually believe that everyone can do their job if once they're challenged. And so they started to learn my way. And so I can tell the difference after like six months that they were like, okay, you know what Jules likes? She doesn't want to know the problems. She wants you to come with the problems and the solutions. 
and that was something that I developed. That I, I managed to instill in all my um, my staff, and that was fun for me because it, to me, going to Nigeria was like having this white canvas, white canvas with nothing on it, and you can just start to draw or paint or create your own your own beauty, your own reality, your own um, um, uh, what's the word for your own artwork that can beautify you know the place and that was what I that's how I felt so I just had this big canvas and this whiteboard and I just started to create things so I could create as much as I want and I created as much as I want to be honest I did everything that I wanted to do while I was there and so when my after three years I kind of got to a point where I felt like okay you know this is where I need to start to move on because I've done what I came to do and so it was um, it was a good transition from there and then going back into um, consultancy, you know, on my own. I was uh, that work in terms of consultancy, especially as a young entrepreneur. And then, of course, you pass from that to a big group and working with someone like Tony Lemenu, which is one of the wealthiest men in Africa and as well, one of the biggest uh, leaders. So how was that experience? And as well, I think that made you quite strong and as well prepared for a lot of the things that you do right now, no? For me, like, I've always... Um... Like some people, all my, sorry, my whole career, I've always been very, very bold and ethical in terms of like, I would want, to, with any company I worked for, I would always go and talk to CEO. I always want to know who am I working for? Who's at the top? Let me meet who I'm working for because I need to know who this person is. And, uh, and because it helps me to develop my, my, myself as well and develop my role because I then understand, if I see the person, I can kind of understand their vision and their mission, and then it kind of like motivates me to sort of like understand how I can, I can um, support that mission or vision. So uh, with um, with uh, Tony Lumilu, it was kind of the same thing. I was he was making it very clear that he'd expose me to a lot, and I can get to see a lot of things, and that um, it's up to me how I want to develop myself with that exposure. And one of the things he did for me that I would. I always remember it was when he told me to um, to manage the whole project for the uh, World Economic Forum in Davos, which to me was like really wow. Because um, first of all, I've, I've never really uh, known names of leaders by heart, but everyone seemed to like know everyone's name. And I was kind of like trying to like um, learn as fast as I could to sort of like know the, who are the influential people, who are the influential leaders. So that exposure was really good because I got to like um, organize events with other powerful um, leaders such as uh, Dan Gote and um, um, Jim Ovier as well and all the other African leaders as well as, uh, you know, Tony Blair and Sherry Blair and all these and Richard Branson. It was just it was just nice to be able to take part in going to this World Economic Forum that I had uh, heard about and never knew that I would actually be there to um, support uh, Tony Limelu during that um, event. So that was a real eye opener. I mean, like we didn't sleep much, maybe two hours a day, but I didn't really care. I was just happy to, to be part of that and to to um, be exposed to that sort of um, energy in the room. Um, so with that, I would say that um, when you have someone that believes in you and that is, is that actually wants to invest their time in you, that's something that is um, is a blessing, and that's how I felt when I joined um, Tony Luminous Companies. That uh, he actually believed in me, and I and I, and when, once I well, obviously I knew that, so I was ready to put in hundred and fifty percent of what I have to, to offer, what I have to give. Um, you know, I didn't have um, there was no day of the week that I wouldn't go to work. I had no problems with the uh, the working hours or anything like that, you know, um, he would call me, he could message me at 1 a.m., 2 a.m., he expects you to, like, answer every single call. So, and I was happy with all that because at the end of the day, like, when I made a decision to work for him, I was going to put in everything 100%. And that was, um, and um, I felt like the things that he really, uh, what the things that he, he valued in me was, uh, like they said, like I said, the boldness, the being very ethical and very, and also integrity because most of my roles was always in checking things and making sure that, um, you know, the numbers are right, the vendors are um, compliant and all the other stuff. It's a lot of compliance and governance. And that's something that I realized that in Nigeria, that's probably one of my biggest strengths, being able to, um, you know, govern things properly and to look at things and to um, work with integrity. And, uh, and also that I'm, I'm, I'm very hardworking as well. 
amazing and i think that's a great experience as well because working with someone like him that uh, of course is one of the most powerful uh, business people in in the continent but as well someone that did his own wealth and create that which i know that is not easy it's very easy to criticize but building what he did is quite impressive so since after that uh, uh Jewel, you you did as well right now a change to the new group that you are part of do you want to talk about the group and the, what you've been doing on that? Because I think it's quite interesting as well. And I think it, it shows as well the, B, the BFD group. Uh, can yeah. you tell us about the group, what it's doing, and uh, as well uh, a bit of uh, background about it? So, the, so obviously the link between myself and Nonso Opala, who is the MD of BFD group, is Tony Elimelu, because we all work for him. We all worked for him at Harris Holdings. And I remember the first time I met Nonso was in, in the office. Well, no, it was actually at a, um, a strategy meeting. And uh, Nonso had done all the financial figures and uh, Tony Lumino was commending him for fantastic work. And all I kept saying to myself was, I have to meet him. I have to meet this guy. I need to know who is this guy that uh, Tony is saying all these wonderful things about. And you, so that was, that was it for me. So I met him and we got talking. And at that point, as soon as I spoke to him back in 2014, I knew that this guy was going to be someone I would be connected with in the future. And then, yeah, it did happen. In 2018, we reconnected and um, we decided to um, work together on a, on a few projects. And so, um, so non so, um, told me about the opportunities that he had for, for, for us. And I um, was very happy to take on board um, those opportunities. And one of them was obviously with um, uh, Abbey Mortgage Bank, which I am also a non-executive director of. Um, Abbey Mortgage Bank, we're looking for investors and mm. I couldn't imagine putting anyone else in that role than uh, VFD Group. VFD Group is the only company I know in Nigeria that is full of men that are hardworking, loyal, um, that work with integrity, that are aggressive and knowledgeable. And, and like, they're just like a great energy of guys that I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed with. And just, it's not only just that, they were all raised in Nigeria. These are Nigerian boys. They're not like, okay, you went to school in Harvard or Cambridge. No, they all went to school in Nigeria and they're all Nigerian branded guys and they are excellent. Like I'm just like blown away by how powerful they are. And so when I met them all, I just knew at that point that anything that I brought to them in terms of in investment ideas or opportunities, I was very confident that if that opportunity is sound, they will put in their money, 100%. And that is something that um, I, I, I I've, never, I've never met a group like that in my life. And I'm so like, um, they, they don't even know that I am. Because if they, if they listen to this, they're gonna be like, Jules, what do you think of us? <laughs> because I, I never told them this, but yeah, I, I'm really impressed with each and every one of the, um, the guys on the executive board, as well as the, all the staff, you know, they have very young staff, which is very refreshing to see young people, young, um, educated Nigerians, um, you know, they, they, they basically um, um, created something that is very authentic and unique. And I, uh, I really, I, I really, I'm really learning a lot from that group. So BFD group is a group of guys, like I said, they all were working for their respective companies and they all decided to invest their small money. And this has now led to them making lots of money, basically, just by investment ideas to uh, strategic um, ideas. A good example is um, Everdon. Everdon is a FX company. And so basically they, um, they created this FX company by, um, which is uh, very unusual because most of, in Nigeria, if you want to, um, if you want to exchange money, you go, you go to these guys, guys, they're called Aboki, they're called Abokis. They're from the North. They're the ones that do the, um, the, the exchange and they're on the street carrying the money and then you do an exchange on the streets. And that's the normal way. And obviously these guys, we have to decide to take all those guys and bring them together and make them start, you know, they can, they can basically um, operate on that system, but be, actually do that through a company. That's what I understand. But yeah, it's something very, um, very authentic. And, um, and so that's, they're doing very well with that. And it's one of the largest um, FX companies in Nigeria, it's called Everdon. 
And then they started doing all these little boring, you know, small amounts of money for, for people that are, you know, middle-class people. And again, that has been very successful. They've got their microfinance um, business as well. And then there's the V-Bank, which is obviously the first ever digital bank in Nigeria and one of the first in Africa. And that's been a huge success as well. I, and uh, I'm very happy to be part of that as well in terms of um, being, being an investor as well as uh, you know, being, being there during the conception, conception phase, you know, sitting with them and, and talking about it and then seeing it come into reality. It's amazing. I mean, they put in a lot of work and it's, it's been so inspiring to watch how, how VFD ha have grown and how VBank has become a huge success. So it's a, it's a digital bank in Nigeria. We don't they don't get charged for withdrawals like if you do a cash withdrawal, they don't get charged. So it's really easy, you know, if you want to do everything on, online, and then if you want to get a card, you can and you can withdraw money, and you don't get charged for cash withdrawals and things like that. But yeah, it's a, it's a nifty um, nifty idea to have a digital bank. And again, it, it looks like we're we're closer to closer to become the most sustainable uh, bank in Nigeria. So, so I, I think I would like to touch more on the bank, if you would mind, because I think uh, as someone that has been working a lot in fin finance and fintech, I know that is not your core area, but now it's becoming one of your core areas. So, and I think it's uh, it's particularly interesting because I know that Nigeria is with a population of 200 million people, and as well as the fast economy in Africa will need much more financial infrastructure. And I know that your group is both investing in multiple different areas and sectors, but of course, uh, um, so, Let's give a bit of history about the bank and how did you create the bank? Because I think that's quite interesting for people listening to us. Because as you know, most of the Western banks left a bit Africa in the last decade, which is a bit stupid. But uh, I know that is not an easy task, especially because of all the regulatory complications. But at the same time, Africa is the fastest growing continent in the planet. Uh, and this is kind of official numbers from the World Bank. So if you could talk about both the bank and as well a bit other areas of the business. So like I said, when Nasser approached me to um, to to be the uh, to invest in Abbey Mortgage Bank, um, they they came in with um, thirty five to buy thirty five percent of um, of the bank, which is over a couple of I can't remember the figures, but a couple of million dollars. Um, is it eighteen million? I don't know the exact number, but it's it's quite a huge amount of money was put into um, Abbey. And as, as soon as they put in the money, they were ready to operate. They didn't sit back. They just came in and started to do the work, started to do the transformation. And the changes have been huge. So them coming in has been a, a great shift for the bank. And we're getting closer and closer to moving from a mortgage bank to a commercial bank, which is the, one of the objectives mm -hmm. from day one when BFD joined um, the bank. So the plan is that obviously to apply to the um, Central Bank of Nigeria and for a commercial license. And uh, based on that, we tend to then um, build the bank and continue to grow on that digital banking system to make the bank a more eco-friendly bank and to create more of that um, banking, um, digital banking system Throughout the, throughout the nation, throughout the country, and then to expand around Africa. And then, you know, who knows, the world. <laughs> um, so with that, um, in Nigeria, you obviously there's different, there's, you know, right now um, the V-Bank is under a microfinance license, which is very, very minimal. There's not many, there's not so many restrictions on that. So as they move to, as we move to a uh, national uh, national or um, commercial bank, there will be some changes to the you know how we operate the digital banking system and, and all that as well. But the key thing is that we don't want to be a bank that has this brick and mortar like banks all over the place. We have bank that everything is kind of done, you know, online. Say having to build build. The, rent and things like that. Um, and then there's obviously the lending, mortgage, real estate, and all that stuff. 
well is also included in the services that we will be providing as a bank. Amazing, and I think I'm really quite excited as well about the group. So I want to touch a bit because you, you before the group, of course, working with, uh, with the group of Tony Alimou and that right now the, uh, with this group, you have a huge experience right now, both in Nigeria and as well in Africa. So as a young leader of the continent and as well someone that has a very global footprint and an international overview, how do you see the growth of Nigeria at large and the growth of Africa? Because I know that you are as well looking at other countries and, and as well have a good footprint over there. Um, so yeah, so I guess like with, um, I guess this whole COVID has been in a way uh, a blessing in disguise in so many ways because it's, it's got us to really um, Think about how we do things and how our how how our systems need to be, you know, improved in terms of um, uh, AI technology. So obviously now um, companies are ready to invest more in AI massively to to improve the way we do things and to create more of that digital transformation throughout the whole of all businesses and in the workplace as well. So that's going to be huge. And the beauty of Nigeria is the number of people there. We're over 200 million and just gives you enough to look at the data, analyze the data, assess different certain things and, uh, you know, and um, really, really to, um, be able to um, get some quick analytical data to make a decision on how to move forward with certain products. And that's something that is quite unique about Nigeria. Um, what else can I say? Um, yeah, so I mean, like, again, um, there's so many areas that are, that are still, that still, still need a lot of improvements and a lot of things happening. For example, um, the oil and gas assets are still, there's still a lot of oil and gas that can come out of the assets in Nigeria. A lot of investors are coming in for oil and gas. Um, even um, our dear Tony Lumalu has also invested uh, $2.1 billion in oil and gas. Oh, sorry, 2.1 or is it 1.2? I think it's 1.2 billion, don't, don't quote me, but a couple of billions uh, into oil and gas. He just acquired some um, existing shell blocks. And also, um, there's the power industry as well, because we still don't have power for the whole of Nigeria. There's still a lack of power supply. So again, there's an opportunity there to really like um, look, for, look for solutions and how to um, power Nigeria and, um, and make sure that power is in everyone's home because it's still something that is still um, needs a bit of tweaking. And then in terms of, uh, you know, consumer items at the end of the day, like the people that need to be fed. So all the big, um, you know, it's an opportunity for SMEs to the big corporations to come in and, um, you know, open up their restaurants or their chain of um, franchise to give opportunity for the Nigerians to um, franchise in any of the different big um, fast food um, com companies as well. So, um, so what I've just what I've noticed this year and back of last year is that there are lots of international investors interested in uh, in, in Nigeria, and not just only just when I talk about international, it's, I'm talking about even like Cameroon or you know or um, or Ghana or places like that. They you know I was just told yesterday that um, they've been able to raise twenty million from Cameroon into Nigeria. So it's like everyone's getting in as, as much as they can because the opportunities are huge. Um, the narrow rate is quite, is quite low at the moment. Um, so it's, you know, you get a lot for your buck in that, in that way. At the end of the day though, there's a lot of all, there's a lot of um, fresh new opportunities that are not, that have not yet gone big, that are at some point are going to explode. And it's, so it's the best, it's the best place to be at the moment. So I want to touch and we passed one hour. So I, I want to probably, let you brief a bit. So I think just a, one of the one or two last questions that I'm particularly interested in, and I think I want to touch that. So one of them is about um, 
I know that you have a big passion uh, for wellness and biohacking and lifestyle things. And I know that it's quite interesting because as an African woman, there's a lot of things. Uh, well, actually, you are global because you are UK <laughs> born and African. But I'm, I'm particularly interested in, in your passion for this because I think it's if you look at uh, as well, even from a cultural perspective, if, if you are in Europe, you are probably doing and focus in one area of lifestyle. In Africa, like we mentioned, is much more big landscapes, big society, big crowds as well. Well, even with COVID-19, there's not so much restrictions as probably in Europe. But as well, I've been involved in wellness, lifestyle, and even biohacking, studying that for a long time. I would like to touch about that. I know that is one of your passions. Yeah. Um... Biohacking has, has been my passion for now for the past, um, I would say I started really biohacking back in 2017. And, uh, um, and then I, yeah, I guess the key thing here was um, about my health. Health optimization is, is pretty key for me because I'm, uh, I'm very energetic and I use a lot of fuel in terms of like how I work. So I'm traveling, I'm working, I'm, late nights, all this crazy stuff going on. So I needed to balance that with um, wellness. And the only way to do that is to know little hacks, easy hacks that can like, you know, that you can create, you can do instead of like popping pills and stuff like that. I used to suffer um, like really chronic hay, um, hay fever. I used to suffer headaches a lot and all these things. And I used to pop pills and stuff, but the pills were not doing anything. They weren't like helping me at all. So I decided to just change the way I do things and not use chemicals and try to use food. Food is medicine. And what I found out is that everything happens in your, like once you know, take care of your gut, everything else kind of works. Even like what you put on your skin, like your skin, the fact that um, every single bacteria on your skin is, is part of your microsystem, your microbiome, you know, everything is connected. And it's sort of like getting that understanding of um, your two hearts. You have one heart in your chest and you have one heart in your gut. And making sure that the two are balanced because that that is what I need to do my work to make decisions because most of some of the decisions well not most but there is a, there are times that normally when I meet someone I go with gut instinct first before I start to break them down and go technical so I I've always been very passionate about being in my top position and I call that uh, to be superhuman and uh, and that's through just that's through just taking care of myself wellness and so I work with a lot of people that are into wellness I um. I, I get involved in like events, conferences. Uh, I listen to lots of podcasts. I keep myself, I think knowledge is power. And I really sit, I really spend a lot of time like doing my homework, doing my research. You know, someone can tell me one thing, but I still need to do my research and you still have to test how it works for me because we're all individuals. We have different ways of functioning. We have different, you know, um, gen genetics and everything else. But one of the things that I, I know that are kind of like critical, like cr crucial whenever you're looking at your um, your health in terms of biohacking is your, you know, you have to give a circadian rhythm, you know, and you have to, you, you know, you need to look at, um, as a woman, you have to look at our cycles, our menstrual cycles and how that works because at different times of the month, we have different sort of like energies that we put up away and things like that. I think it's important, like, whether we talk about it or not, but it's something that is super important because um, we're not built like men, we're built in a different, in a different way. And we, our health is probably needs more of that self-care compared to a man because we have two cycles to deal with, circadian rhythm and the, you know, two cycles. So all this stuff is, I educate myself on, I want to push for that. I want to help other people, other men, other women to be at their best because when they're at their best, they can perform their best. And I truly believe that Anyone that I'm helping to be their best, I'm not just helping them. I'm helping the whole world because everyone's greatness is part of the whole world. We're all connected, we're all one. So it's not just about like, you know, me just taking care of myself, but it's about taking care of others as well and to share that knowledge and so that other people can also benefit from that as well. So it's something that I'm very passionate about because it brings quality into work. It brings product, productivity into the workplace. And some and longevity is important as well. So I believe that you know wellness has to go in line with um, with your career. Amazing. So I want to touch. So how do you define biohacking? Because I think it's important for people listening to us. 
And of course, I, yeah. I subscribe to everything you say, and I'm actually trying to do that myself. I have a lot to learn probably from you, but uh, but yeah. I think just a bit, how do you look at that? You have people like Tim Ferriss that have been doing some crazy experience with his book uh, and a lot of other things he's been doing, but a biohacking is still very subjective. So I asked, for instance, last week, not last week in December, for instance, the, just as a, a, a note, the, the French army launched the bionic soldiers protocol. So this actually is becoming mainstream. This is news, okay? It's not science fiction. The, this is something by the, 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 the French army that they launched like the bio, bio, bionic soldier system. So this is all about biohacking and these things are becoming really mainstream. But that's a very small discussion around this. And like you said, one I think use for our optimization can make a big difference. And like you mentioned, you improve your health, you improve your lifestyle. And a lot of things we have, especially with COVID-19, where health is key, um, we are, and as well with the, all the areas of, around sustainability and things like that. So I would like to touch a bit the definition for you and as well what you've been doing on that area. So biohacking to me is basically, you know, um, health optimization, upgrading the system. It's like, uh, you know, you have the people that hack into computers, right? <laughs> so this is just hacking the body. Smart way to hack the body, to upgrade the body, to be at its best performance. For me, it's to become superhuman. Uh, do I wake up in the morning feeling groggy, tired? No. Do I wake up in the morning needing like, oh, I gotta get some coffee to function? No, I don't. Do I um, um, do I feel like I'm not focused throughout the day? Do I feel fuzzy? No, I don't because I I'm taking the right sort of supplements. I'm doing the right sort of um, um, treatments that I tried and tested and I believe work. You know, the red light therapy, for example, I use that to um, to help me to um, to um, to release my melatonin, which is needed for for sleep. Um, I um, I drink bone broth, which is um, also natural collagen for the skin, hair, and nails. Um, I uh, I wake up in the morning at just before the sunrise, just to get the first sunrise in my eyes in my on my skin on my you know because they're photosensitive and then i make sure that i finish all my food eating before the sun sets because that's because my body needs to get ready for digestion and prepare myself for sleep i try to get in my so-called eight hours because i know that 10 o'clock to 11 10 a 10 p.m to 11 p.m are critical hours that you need to be asleep at that time and so I know that by 10 o'clock I should be getting, I should be, I should be in bed, I should be getting to sleep so I can get that um, critical um, part of sleep that is needed to renew the cells. I do intermittent fasting, which is amazing because it was, it's interesting because when I first started fasting, I thought it was kind of a crazy idea. But what I discovered was that when I'm fasting, I'm also kind of like more alert, more sharper. And then after I finish fasting, I have my meal and then my body is getting ready to digest, so I'm not even as sharp as I am during fasting. So I noticed that I the best times to get most of my work done is when I'm in fasted mode. And after fasting, I spend that time doing things that have less, um, that need, don't need as much focus, like reading a book or things like that, that are, you know, or self-care. Um, I'm into food, you know, as much food, I make sure that I have, um, I um, have the right sort of uh, organic food, you know, um, that I'm, I'm sourcing my food from, um, from companies that, are, that work with integrity. I'm not gonna go to Tesco's or Sainsbury's to do my shopping because I, I, I'd rather go to local, um, local producers to get like, you know, the feeling that I know, what, you know where the food is sourced from. Um, I like some of the most important things I have in my fridge are like, um, grass-fed butter, I have uh, pasture, free-range eggs, I have, um, I also have pink salt, not pink salt, um, real salt from a company called Real Salt, and it's, which is also as good as Himalayan salt, but maybe even better because real salt comes from this, um, this particular ground in America, so it's very good quality. So I would say that like, you know, um, source of food is very important because food is, um, is, is health. And I, I would say that I have not, I've never, I've not really been sick. I've never had flu really, I've never really had any sort of like illness or anything. Because like I said, I've just been on top of my, my immune system is quite happy with me. If it wants to challenge me, go ahead, get sick if you want to. But I know that if I do get sick ever, it's because of my immune system getting ready to 
fight and get me stronger. So that's that's it. That's most of it in a nutshell. And then I exercise as well. And again, smart ways to exercise as well, it's like biohacking ways to exercise, biohacking ways to sleep, eat, and all kinds of stuff. So I'm following like all these interesting things, and I enjoy it. It's not like it's a it's not like a chore. I actually enjoy what I do. You know, people say, Jewel, that's a bit extreme. I say to them, well, you know what's extreme for me is you on a, the on a theater bed because you're going to, they're going to open you up and cut something out and remove something. That to me is very, very extreme. So yeah, I'm not going to end up on a hospital bed. No, I won't. Impressive. And I think actually a lot of things that you just mentioned that I need to look at that myself and learn because I think especially people that have very strong careers like you and everyone right now as well, that is suffering in one way or the other, all the challenges with COVID-19, this is more important than ever. And as well, so I wanna probably be one of two last questions and drop up because I know that we passed one hour, but uh, one of the things is I know that we are an engineer with expertise in both uh, in uh, oil and gas energy and sustainability. Um, so in these areas that are probably, according to most of the scientists and, and, and experts, and you are the engineer, I'm not the engineer here, these are the most, challenging yeah. and most uh, urgent areas in the world. And I think now we have a new administration in the White House highlighting the special carbon footprint, a lot of these areas. So how do you see this, especially in the quality of engineer that has been working on this for, for uh, some time, but as well, uh, you've been working both from an industry and both from a research, a bit of your of, of overview. And especially, I know that there's been a couple of challenges with especially the, everything related with the sustainability that has been affecting the, the climate change and as well I know that in Africa this is particularly urgent because there are some some well, right now we have more and more pandemics there are people saying that you're going to have um, flu, uh, floods and a lot of other things coming so how do you see this from your engineer and expertise in these areas okay so um you know I don't I don't know if I'm the best person to talk to about this because I'm very um very practical about the reality of this because um, I've worked in industries and I've seen like uh, I've seen I've seen um, facilities that have been operating back in the 1960s and then um, and they're trying to say okay let's try and make these um, facilities more um, you know sustainable let's try and like measure to see how much emissions are coming out of these facilities. And it's, it's just doesn't make any sense to me because they're not they're never built to be um, to measure in that in the way we want we want to do that now. Whereas the anything that's built currently now, obviously, we are putting in putting in the right type of metering system. So the metering system that we're putting put in place are perfect. So I'll say anything built from the maybe from uh, roughly let's say from two thousand onwards that the metering systems are there and if they're not there they can actually put the, implement them and make it easy for you to measure but anything that is like been built which is what happens which is the case in the places like in Nigeria or in, even in the UK or in like Aberdeen places like that most of their facilities are super old and you really can't really like compare them and measure the emissions with a, a facility that was built in you know in modern times so I guess the the um, the way I look at it is that um, most of those old facilities, at some point, you know, they need to kind of like decommission these facilities, you know, and start to look at like you know, um, changing the way they, you know, the, the way they, the the demands and you know, obviously because obviously we're moving more into renewables, so that means that we're moving more into renewables. It means that we'll be using less of those old technologies. So we need to start to decommission some of those really old facilities and start to expand the uh, modern ones or even start to look at how to um, invest into um, you know, optimization, creating new facilities, creating new um, systems in those old facilities is, as a way forward. Is that possible? Of course it is. I mean, like, um, you know, it, and this will apply for the big, corporations, you know, like with the BP and the shells, they have the, they have the money to do that. But for like small SME companies that are like really, really small, it's very difficult for them. And so the key thing for those kind of facilities is maybe they can look at like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They can also, they can look at like um, offsetting those plants by doing 
growing more trees, you know, putting in something, doing something more eco-friendly, like, you know, forestation, do something really like impactful to the environment. So you're saying, okay, we've done this, not so great. So we're offsetting it, we're doing this. And that way, you know, they're kind of like giving something back to the environment. It's a, something that is, uh, is quite interesting, especially recently, like with COVID now, you don't even hear anything about the environment anymore. Are we saying that because we're all locked indoors, we are polluting less or there's less pollution? Maybe that's possible. However, it's um, it's still something that needs to be, it's, um, we still need to continue to, to measure, you know, monitor and um, find, find ways to do things without having to impact the environment. And like I said, it's not just the environment, but also to put back into existing, the environment in terms of like, you know, more, more trees and more, um, you know, even like clean up the, the ocean, plastic, move the plastics, do something. You know, one thing that would be really great is if we just stop using plastic altogether, you know, and find solutions to that. That'll be like a good starting point. And some of these companies that cannot offset, cannot uh, stop producing in these, uh, in these facilities, they can look, work on other projects that kind of like offset what they're doing in their, in their plant. That's my, that's just me in general, what I, what I believe is the, way forward but, but what industries will do i don't know but if i was uh, if i was going into any of those industries that would be what i'd be pushing for no i think i, I completely subscribe and i like as well the practicality because a lot of the things is for instance there was a lot of studies saying that carbon is still one of the biggest energy well it's the biggest energy polluter but it's still the biggest source of energy in the planet or it was at least until recent so yeah there's a lot of work to do just on the legacy systems and things like that so I think uh, I, I want to thank you, Jewel. It's been a fantastic uh, journey and the best one hour. I don't know if there's any other things you want to just highlight, especially with your group. Yeah, there's something special... I wanted to show you. Yeah. I want to show you yeah. something. So this is like one of the example of a um, a health, how do you call it? Health tech? Yeah, yeah but why have also health tech? So this company has made something called a smart plate. And this is an example of something that can actually say people that have diabetes too. So it's like a system, you can see like they're, you know, it's like the three plates. So you put the food items on the plate and then it tells you based on your macros, how much you need to take and how much you need to take out. So basically when you use the app on your phone, it will say, okay, you put too much meat, take it off or you put too much bananas, take it off and basically balance your macros on this plate and then you can eat it. And then you're basically able to eat what you need to eat to kind of like take you away from di diabetes type two, for example, or if you're to help you lose weight or like your trainer doesn't want to like monitor you every day, if you something like this. So this is like, this is going to be probably be bigger than um, Peloton at some point, because Peloton's another, another, you know, indoor stuff, because as people are going to be spending more time on their own <laughs> and less time, you know, um, you know, being um, someone coming to their house and telling them what to eat or not to eat. They have this cute little device here that just helps people to um, to be their own personal nutritionist. And that's, that's, a really, that's a really smart idea. I really, I'm really like intrigued by that because, um, yeah, because people just don't know what they're eating anymore. And, and they also they don't want to look at the back of their, um, you know, they don't want to go into too much details about what's on the back of their um, uh, boxes. And here they just, know scan their food and then they can say okay i'm good i'm good to go and then sometimes you know once you know your portion think about it right some people eat the same thing every monday tuesday you know you know what i mean so you already know the portions and then you know that okay after a couple of months you're well i definitely i'm interested in that and actually i know that you you've been thinking about starting to do some some thought leadership around that and some some uh probably Instagram or some videos on that. I definitely, I think you should because your knowledge is quite impressive on that area. And I think it's, it's uh, there's a lot of innovation on these areas, but very few are using it. Sometimes we use the technology just for garbage and this is amazing. So yeah, I yeah. will put some links but, on this and yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but also if you think about it, like you have the Open um, open Business Awards awesome. coming up. Yeah. And these sort, of, these sort of things, right, will give, Will be, an, will be an awareness for other people that have ideas to go forward, not to just like have an idea and just stick to just putting your head and not work on it, but it motivates people to go, hey, hang on, I have an idea similar to this and I never would have thought I would come forward. But then with this new open business 
awards, it kind of like opens people up to say, I can have a voice, I can put my product out, you know, I have a technology that I believe can save lives. And uh, yeah, I think that's an, an amazing um, award category that you've put together for the, um, for the open business. It's really, really, it's a really, really great idea. And I've never seen anything so, so unique. You have smart, smart, uh, smart community, and then you've smart got cities, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, smart cities, and then you've got the AI, and then you put in wellness with that. That's authentic. I like that. So, um, yeah, so he's definitely going in as one of the entries. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> no, no, I'm very I'm excited to this myself. Because <laughs> I, I think the point is that we all need this. And actually for business, this is key because otherwise we cannot succeed in this crazy world we're living in. Well, it's, it's amazing as well. There's amazing things, but sometimes we forget. No, thank you so much for that, Jewel. And I think it's a great example that um, I, I would suggest as well, and I will finish probably the interview with that, is that you have to do videos presenting this. Because in the end of the day, no, this is a massive, for instance, that massive amount of YouTube channels for instance, that I discovered for children that are just people wrapping up presents. And this is much more important. <laughs> and I'm sure that people will love it. Oh my God, that's <laughs> so funny. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's uh, well, I'm you sure, can't imagine that. Yeah. I'm sure with your leadership, I would learn to be more on the camera because you know I don't do cameras. I don't, I'm not a camera person. So maybe with oh. your support, I might, I, might, I might, you know, run with it. <laughs> No, no, I think that is one of the things that's why I wanted to interview as well, because there's, there's different kinds of being in front of the cameras, but I think this kind of knowledge and details as well are really important. So thank you so much for this great um, interview and as well a lot of uh, knowledge that we'll share and as well overview about uh, both your career, your experience, but as well Nigeria, Africa and the global and the wellness. Thank you. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed it and uh, I look forward to um, speaking to you again soon. But uh, thanks for what you're doing. You're putting knowledge out there for everyone. That's a very, very passionate of you. And uh, we thank you for, um, for sharing. It's all my pleasure. I thank you. <laughs>